Well, good morning, everyone. I would love it if you would start off with me with, with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you, we lift you up. God, we're going to be going through some difficult texts today and some difficult topics, and some difficult ideas. And God, I just ask that you would help to open, open our hearts to learn what you want us to learn, to understand what you want us to understand. And ultimately, God, I just ask that you would help us to find comfort and peace and wisdom and knowledge in your word. We pray all of these things in your son's name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. All right, so this morning, we're in part three of our sermon series going through the Psalms called, our series we're calling Selah. Um, it's a Hebrew word which means to lift up, to praise. It's a mysterious word because nobody actually knows what it means. But we're taking the time to lift up our praises, to lift up our thoughts and our minds to God through the Psalms. And so what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is we've been sort of getting a little sprinkling of all the different styles and genres of Psalms. So we've just been getting a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit there. We've talked about wisdom Psalms. We've talked about praise Psalms. And today we're going to look at, we're going to look at some lament Psalms. Um, laments are a topic that we don't talk about in church very often. We don't really go through the parts of scripture that are, are in mourning and grief and sadness. Um, and, and it's understandable because nobody wants to come to church and feel sad. It's difficult material. And I, and I found even as I was researching and studying for these lament psalms, it was difficult even to find information and material to preach on. A lot of times I'll do my research and try to find some good um, sermon illustrations or I'll look and see what other preachers have talked about in the past. And it's hard to find things on the laments because nobody wants to talk about the laments. We don't want to feel lament when we're at church. But if we're going to take a serious look at the Psalms, I want to show you something really, really interesting here. This is a chart of all of the Psalms and the different styles. And you don't have to worry about what the charts say. All you need to know is that big blue area in the Psalms, in the, in the, the chart there, that's the Lament Psalms. 44% of all of the Psalms in the book of Psalms are laments. So if we're going to look at the book of Psalms, if we're going to experience these works of poetry, well, then we can't just ignore something that's such a huge component up front of Scripture. And so I want to warn everybody right out of the gate, you might not enjoy this sermon. You might walk away from this sermon saying, man, that was a downer. That was just ruined my whole day. First the Husker game, now this. Like, I was in a good mood before I came to church. And then we had to come here and talk about sadness and lament. And he just really took my good mood and brought it down. And what I want to say is this. If you're that person where you're in a happy, chipper mood and this is just going to be a downer on your day, I want you to understand that this is not a message aimed at you. I can guarantee that there are some of us in the room who need to hear this. 
So just understand that if maybe you're in the happy mood and this is bringing you down, there's a brother or sister in this room at any given moment who is like, yeah, I need to, I need to feel this grief. I need to feel this pain and this mourning. And to just understand that maybe that's for them. Maybe this is going to be healing for them. And so I would love it if you would join with me. I'm going to start reading Psalm 88. And one of the things we've been doing as we've been reading these psalms is I've just been inviting everyone to not even open your Bible if you don't want to and just close your eyes and, and experience this psalm, experience this work of poetry to, to exhibit a posture of prayer to God, a posture of a personal connection with God, and just experience this as I read it. If you want to read along, you can. If you want to just close your eyes and be with God for a minute while we read this, I invite you to do that as well. But I'm going to start reading, and we're just going to read all of Psalm 88, and then we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about it. Psalm 88 says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? You, Lord, in the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken me from my friend and neighbor, darkness is my closest friend. This is, a, this is a prime example of a lament psalm. A lament psalm, the purpose of a lament psalm is exactly that. It's to lament. It's to express grief and mourning and pain. And as, as I said before, 44% of all the psalms are laments. And I'd be willing to say that Psalm 88 is probably the deepest, darkest, saddest lamentiest lament as we get. See, at most of the lament psalms, if you read through them, they're sad, there's pain and grief, but then at the end of the song, you'll get a little glimmer of hope. It'll say, Lord, my enemies surround me, but you are good, God. Lord, I'm in deep pain and despair, but you will rescue me, God. Not Psalm 88. Not this one. Psalm 88 ends with the phrase, You have taken me from my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. 
Not a lot of hope going on there, is there? See, one of the lies that we tell ourselves as Christians is we have this idea that because we're Christians, we just have to be happy all the time, no matter what. Even when we feel like darkness is our closest friend, there's this unwritten rule where we're like, no, you just need to put on a happy face and just, just smile the pain away and show the world how happy you are. Don't let anybody see that you're in pain and grief and mourning. And, and to be honest, that's just not healthy. The Bible never tells us to just be happy and cheery all the time. It tells us we need to be joyful in all situations. But joy and happiness are not the same thing. And you understand that joy is a long-term state of being. Happiness is a temporary emotion that can come and go. Which means you can be in a state of joy. You can have a joy-filled life and still experience grief and pain and sadness from time to time. That's okay, that's healthy, that's normal. And so here in, here in Psalm 88, the psalmist is expressing some of the most raw, painful emotions that you can imagine. He says things like, I'm overwhelmed with troubles as my life draws near to death. Your Bible might say, as my life draws near to Sheol. Sheol is the, is the Hebrew equivalent of our English word, Hell. We, we think about hell as being this place of fire, and we have this picture in our mind when we think of hell. We, we think of the color red. We think of fire and flames and, and little guys hopping around with pitchforks. But if we look closely at how the Bible describes hell, Sheol, read, read verse 4. It says, I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength, set apart from the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. Well, that's a description. That's not fire and pitchforks. That's a description like, like utter and complete darkness. Like being buried, being in the grave. And so the, the psalmist here is painting this picture of, of the deepest, darkest hole that you could imagine yourself in, like, like being in a pit, like being in a grave, but he's describing that feeling here on earth. And if you've ever experienced pain or grief or depression, if you've lost a loved one and you're, and you're going through those raw emotions, that can be what it feels like. Like, like you're in the middle of a crowd of people, and yet you feel like you're utterly and completely alone. You're in your own little hole. You're surrounded by darkness. But look, look at what the psalmist does. Let's go back to verse 1. He says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. So he gives his pain over to God. But he doesn't have to put a happy face on. He doesn't try to fake it. He just cries out. He lets it all out to God. He says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Please hear my cry. If, if, you, if you hear nothing else from these psalms and these messages, I want you to hear this. It's okay to not always be okay. It's okay to feel 
pain and grief. And it's okay to take those feelings and to give them over to God and to cry out to God and say, I'm not okay right now. More than that, I think you absolutely should give those things over to God. Your pain, your anger. Emotions are not sin. They're not the same thing. Pain and grief and sadness is not a sin. If you've ever lost a loved one, you know that there's a point where you... Something switches inside you where you switch from the sadness to the to, to just rage and anger and you feel like you want to burn the world down. That anger. It's the five stages of grief, which, which, is, which is total baloney, by the way. They always, all the textbooks talk about grief as if there's these five stages where first you feel sad and then you feel anger and then you feel bargaining and then you feel acceptance and then no, you're no longer in grief anymore. Like it's this process that you just go through and then now, oh, good, now the grief is over. That's baloney. Um, anybody who's ever actually experienced loss and grief will tell you it's like a roller coaster where you're up and down and you're in anger and depression and back to anger again. And then you start to feel like maybe things are looking brighter and you're moving on into this acceptance stage and then something happens that pulls you right back into it. That's the way it really is. Don't hide that. Don't hide that from God. God wants to be a part of that grief desert that you're walking through. He wants to walk with you through that wilderness. And our God is big enough that he can handle those things. The psalmist says in, in verse 6, he says, You've put me, oh, wrong psalm. It says, you've put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. So here we get this picture of somebody who's not only in all of this pain and grief, but now he's turning to God and saying, you did this to me, God. You put me in this pit. He's angry. Here's the thing. God didn't do this. God didn't put him in that pit. God didn't cause that pain. But he's big enough to just listen when we're having a rough time. Because our pain is not caused by God. Our pain is caused by the fact that we live in a broken, sinful world that has pain and death and suffering in it. It's baked into the world we live in. God didn't cause that, but he understands that we experience it. He understands it because he's gone through the exact same thing. He's experienced pain and grief. When, when Jesus found out that Lazarus had died, he went over to Martha and Mary's house. He had found out that his best friend had died, and he said, where is he? Where did you lay him, is what the Bible text says. Where, where is he? I want to see him. And they said, come and see, Lord. Come and see. So they brought him over to the tomb. Brought him over to the tomb. 
And he wept. The Son of God, the firstborn over all creation, the Alpha and Omega, the one who speaks and the winds and the waves obey him, stood there at the grave of his best friend and he broke down and wept. He cried. Think about this. Jesus wept for Lazarus even though he knew that ultimately Lazarus was going to be okay. You ever think about that? Why was Jesus sad even though he knew Lazarus was going to come out of the grave? Because death is still sad, even if you know the person's going to come through it. This is the other lie we tell ourselves as Christians, that if, if our loved ones are followers of Christ, then we're not allowed to be sad when they die. We're supposed to just be happy and cheerful and say, they're in a better place. I'm not sad because they're with Jesus now. And it's true they're in a better place. It's true they're with Jesus. But that doesn't mean I'm not sad that they're gone. It's okay to feel that. Um... We, uh, a while back, one of, my, one of my really close friends passed away. And it was very sudden. It was very unexpected. It wasn't like a, an illness we knew was coming. It was, it was, it was very abrupt. And I, I know his, what his faith was. I know that he had a sincere belief in Christ. And I have no doubt in my mind where he is right now. And the fact that he's not experiencing pain anymore. The fact that he's in the arms of Christ. And I've, I've taken time and I've worked through the anger and the questioning and, and the stages of, of asking God, you know, why, why now? Why him? Why in this way? Why, why God? And I've, I've, I've taken some time and, and processed through a lot of that. But you know, every... Every now and then something happens and it, it reminds me of him and I miss my friend. I miss, I miss being with him. I, I miss having that person in my life. And I get sad. I don't, I don't know who that person is in your life. We all have somebody. But I want you to understand that it's okay to miss them. It's okay to be sad. There's not a prescribed amount of time where you're just allowed to grieve and then all of a sudden you're supposed to just be over it. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Because even though Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to rise again, he still wept. Hebrews, Hebrews 2 uh, says, for this reason he, he's talking about Jesus, Jesus had to be made like them. That's us. He was made like them. Jesus was made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's the beautiful thing. We have a Savior who can relate to us and relate to our pain and our grief because he's been there. So when we say, God, I feel distant from you, when we cry out to God, when we say, I'm overwhelmed with troubles, God, you feel so far away, Jesus can honestly say, I know how you feel. I've been there. 
Jesus knows what it feels like to feel like you're just in complete pain and darkness. On the cross, on the cross, Matthew 27 says, At about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? It's the opening It's the opening line to Psalm 22 is what Jesus is quoting on the cross. It's another lament psalm. I invite you to turn to Psalm 22 or just close your eyes and experience this psalm. This is the psalm Jesus quotes on the cross. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted in you and delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive 
Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. It's one of my favorite psalms. And the beautiful thing about Psalm 22 is that Psalm 22 does two things. Number one, it clearly and precisely predicts the crucifixion of our Lord. Right down to the fact that while he was on the cross, they were gambling for his clothes. The other thing that this psalm does is it expands on that verse in Matthew and shows us the kind of pain that Jesus was going through, the kinds of things he was thinking. Because he knew the psalms, he knew the scriptures. He's part of the Godhead in a way he kind of wrote them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why do I have to go through this pain? And Jesus knew the answer. He knew why he had to go to the cross. He knew the answer. He had full trust in the Father's plan, but that doesn't mean there wasn't pain. I think there's a lot of us in, the, in that place where we understand Well, we might not understand, but we trust God. We trust that God has a plan for our life. We trust that he's in control, but it still hurts sometimes, and we still have moments where we just wonder, and we're like, why, God, have you chosen this time to have me experience this pain? Later on, he says, you are enthroned as the Holy One, the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted in you and delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. So even in the psalm, as David's writing it, David knows who God is. David knows that he rescues and delivers his people. But then he says in verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone and despised by the people. I think a lot of us have been in that place where we know God is holy. We trust God is good. We trust he's in control. But we're like, yeah, but I feel like a worm. A worm is about the lowest life form that you can imagine, that you can see without a microscope. A worm literally lives underground. It's more of that imagery of Sheol, of the pit, of the grave, of the darkness. In fact, if you read through most of the Lament Psalms, this picture of being buried, of being in the pit, of being in Sheol, the grave is all over. Back to our Psalm 88 where he says, You've put me in the lowest pit, the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. I'm confined and I cannot escape. And because... This darkness is part of the human condition. We need to talk to God about it. And because Jesus was fully God and fully man, he understands the pain and darkness of the grave. He can relate to our suffering because he's been there. And so when you're in your pit, when you're in the grave, I want you to take solace in the fact that you can you can feel like Jesus is right there in the grave. Actually, 
It's a lot more like we're right there in the grave with him. Because that cross, the piercing of his hands and feet, the, the scripture we read from Isaiah, that's only half the story. The image of the Son of God standing by the grave and breaking down in tears over the death of his friend is only half the story. Because what happened next? While the rest of the family, while Martha and Mary were still weeping, Jesus got up and he walked over to that tomb. Take away the stone, he said. You can almost hear the dedication in his voice, the, the, the just sheer willpower. Jesus, everyone else is weeping and crying and all hope is lost and Jesus says, take away the stone. And they even argued with him. They said, he said, take away the stone. But Mary, Martha, the sister of the dead man said, but by this time there's a bad odor. He's been there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Did I not tell you? It's almost like Jesus is, is having this moment where he looks over at Martha and he says, I told you to take away the stone. Take away the stone. Did I not tell you that if you have faith, you will see the glory of God? Didn't he tell us? When Jesus says to take away the stone, you take away the stone. And he said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And that man got up out of that grave and he walked out. When he'd been crucified, when they had pierced his hands and feet, when they wrapped him up and they laid him in that tomb and they rolled that heavy boulder in front of it. We don't, we don't have an account of exactly what went on between Friday and Sunday. But there had to have been a minute where the Son of God sat up and looked around and saw where he was, he probably looked at that stone and laughed. He probably, again, this isn't scriptural, but I would imagine he got up, he saw that stone blocking the door, and he had a laugh. You think a rock's going to hold me in here? You think the cross is going to hold me in here? You think that little bitty stone you put in front of this grave is going to hold me in here? I don't think so. Roll away the stone. And he got up and he walked out. If he can call Lazarus out of the grave, if he can beat death and roll away the stone and walk right out, he can do it for you. Because there is not a tomb deep enough, there's not a grave dark enough, there is not pain strong enough to hold back Jesus. Amen? Amen. He is alive because he beat the grave, he beat death, he beat Sheol, he beat all of it. First, this is, this is from 2 
Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, But now it has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He got up and he said, Roll away the stone. Because there ain't a grave big enough to hold back our Lord. And so when you're, when you're in those Psalm 88 moments, when you're in those Psalm 22 moments where you cry out to God and you feel like you're in pain because of all the grief and all the suffering and all the things that exist in the world, and you cry out and you're like, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you brought me down into this pit? I want you to feel that grief. I want you to feel that pain. I want you to process through those emotions. And I want you to give them over to God. I don't want you to skip that process. Because grief is a desert that has to be walked through on foot. You have to go through it one step at a time. But I want you to understand what comes at the end of Psalm 22. I want you to know what's on the other side of that desert. Psalm 22 says, posterity will serve him. That's another fancy Bible word for future generations. He says, future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He's done it. You know what he did? He beat the grave. He beat the darkness. In the New Testament, Jesus says, it is finished. There is an end in sight. And you've got to walk through that desert to get there. But I want you to have hope and trust in the fact that Jesus beat the grave. Will you pray with me? Father God, we can't thank you enough. There's no words we could have. There's no praise we could give you that would be enough to thank you for defeating death. God, we thank you that we have the privilege of not only having a Savior, but having the privilege of being able to take up our cross and die with him so that we might, too, experience resurrection and eternal life. God, we trust you. We're going to go through this. We're going to walk through this desert. We're going to exist in this wilderness for a little while, but we know that you're going to rescue us. You're going to pull us out of that grave. And that we will have eternal life. We praise you and we thank you. We pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen.